We're back. We're back. Welcome back to The Hills Are Alive. A movie, a movie musical. <laughs> a no, movie we're going to say it together. A, a movie, movie musical, musical podcast. Where me, Alex. And me, Kelsey. Uh, recap, review, recast all of your favorite movie musicals throughout history. Yeah. You can find us on Instagram at The Hills Are Alive Pod. Our... Our producer told us we need to get that out there because not everybody makes it to the end. Our two-hour episode. So, <laughs> um, anyway. anyway. <laughs> How are you, Alex? I'm doing good. Um, we took a month off last month, February in the doldrums. Yeah, even though it's only like three days shorter than most months, sometimes only two. It just feels like February is always... Blah. Yeah. We My- had like one week where it rained every single day and I don't have any memories of that week. I don't I don't really make new memories anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today we are talking about Funny Girl. Funny Girl. This is our 1960s episode. Oh, yeah. For those of you who don't know, we're in season two. And for season two, we are doing a decade a month, basically. Yeah. Um, so we've done the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And today we are doing the 60s with Funny Girl. Came out in 1968. Mm-hmm. Highest grossing film of 68. Got a lot of those. We do. Yeah. It, it winds up. Being that uh, if you come out with a good musical, it's going to be the most successful, it seems. Barbara Streisand's debut feature-length film. And she is great. Yeah, she is. We've got the beautiful... um, What's his name? Omar Omar Sharif. Sharif, Yes. Oh, my goodness. I know. Very handsome. We'll get to recast later, but my recast for... Wait, tell us later. Okay, we'll get there. (laughs) Um, so the Broadway show actually opened in 64, but the, there was a screenplay that was written for it first. Basically, the real Fanny Bryce's stepson was trying to like commission an autobiography. Right. And Ray the, uh, Stark. Ray Stark. Yes. Yeah. Who's the producer of this movie. Right. By the way, I had no idea until after watching this that Fanny Bryce was a real person. Same. I went in to look at the like Wikipedia or whatever, and it was like... Wait, so you hadn't seen this either? No. I Yeah, I've so never her, seen this I one think before. Her stepson, it was the, the son of her third husband, I believe, um, was trying to like commission an autobiography and that turned into a screenplay and then that turned into a Broadway show that opened in 64 and ultimately became the movie in 68. And we find that a lot in the like around this time, just the quick turnaround from the Broadway show right into the movie. Yeah. And I think with a show like this, it's easy to turn into a movie. Yeah. Whereas with other shows, for example, Phantom of the Opera. Like you wait for the technology to catch up to where it needs to be in order to put something like that together. Yeah. Um, But even with, you know, with with Phantom, it was like so much like like you said when we were talking about that show. It's like part of the thing is like of seeing it on stage is like you're using your imagination about like how things right. look or whatever. And so when you try to put that on screen, it can be a little... Jarring. Yeah. So anyway, um, so yeah, it ultimately became uh, the stage show first, which considering that it only took a few years to get it done, 
it had a really a really complicated road to getting made with some familiar names jerome robbins so he was the stage choreographer he was the original director oh okay um of the Broadway. Of the Broadway. So, okay. The, the movie director is William Wyler. Right. And then Herbert Ross, he directed the musical numbers. And he was another Broadway choreographer. Right. So but I don't, I don't Jerome, know. Jerome, I don't think, was involved with the was movie. In, I don't think he was involved in the movie. He was probably busy with West, For Side, once. West Side Story. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ray Stark, he commissioned an authorized biography, uh, and that was based on her taped recollections that she had dictated but he didn't like it so he had to pay fifty thousand dollars to stop the publication of it it was called the fabulous fanny so then he turned to he turned to ben hecht to write the screenplay for a biopic but neither him or the other 10 writers uh, were able to succeed in producing that and then he finally got isabel lenart who submitted My Man, which pleased both Stark and Columbia Pictures and offered Stark $400,000 plus plus a percentage of the gross sales for the property. But then, after reading the screenplay, sorry, this is kind of in-depth, but it's actually interesting. Mary Martin uh, contacted Stark to be involved. She was like OG... Maria on Broadway, I think, in Sound of Music. Oh, I would not remember that. That was a long time ago. Yes. So, uh, so she actually wanted to be involved in like writing the music and stuff. And they asked, uh, let's see, Stark discussed the possibility with the producer David Merrick, who suggested Jewel Stein and Stephen Sondheim to compose the score, but Sondheim didn't want to be involved because of Mary Martin because she wasn't Jewish. <laughs> okay. Um, he said, she's not Jewish. You need someone ethnic for the part. So shortly after, Mary Martin lost interest in the project and backed out. So Merrick discussed the project with Jerome Robbins, um, who gave the screenplay to Anne Bancroft of the graduate fame. She agreed to play Bryce um, if she could handle this, like the the singing of it. Um, so Merrick uh, suggested that Stein collaborate with someone else named Dorothy Fields. She uh, she wasn't interested. Um, so Stein went to Palm Beach, Florida, for a month to compose music that he thought that Anne Bagcroft would be able to sing. Um, so while he was there. He played five melodies for Bob Merrill, um, mm-hmm. who had already written for him. Merrill agreed to write lyrics. They had two songs. They wrote two songs, um, which were Who Are You Now and The Music That Makes Me Dance, which I don't think ended up there in the stage show, but I don't think ended up <laughs> in the movie. Sorry. No, <laughs> these are so many. <laughs> like, these are so many names that we will never hear I know, again. I know. Like... Except, I know. <laughs> Um, anyway, they were happy with, um, with those songs. Uh, they played it for Jerome Robbins, Ray Stark, and Anne Bancroft. Um, but she had a personal conflict with the Merrill dude. Um, but that when, and when she listened to it, she says, I want no part of this. Oh my gosh. This, th- these are too many details. <laughs> like... So anyway, they, they decided that obviously that Fanny needed to be played by, a Jewish actress, <laughs> uh, and they got Barbara Streisand involved. Um, 
anyway, it's just it finally got produced. Um, it pre- it premiered in Boston at the Schubert. The critics praised Streisand but disliked the show. They made some tweaks. Blah blah blah. It premiered in 1964. Sorry. Are you just like reading Wikipedia right now? No, I mean I have like multiple sources. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a very complicated history, as most of these things are. It's a very complicated history of how it actually got made. But usually Jerome Robbins and Steven Sondheim are in there somewhere around this era. Okay. That's it on that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, taking off from there, <laughs> uh, the movie is obviously starring Barbara Streisand. Uh-huh. I mean, it was before she was Barbara Streisand, you know what I mean? Sure, but I mean, she was pretty famous still. Yeah. As, a, as a vocalist, and you know, there's those old clips of her on like the Judy Garland show or whatever. Yeah. Like, I, I had read somewhere that she was already a member of the uh, Motion Picture Academy. Mm-hmm. So when she did get nominated for an Oscar, she voted for herself. Nice. Yeah, which secured her a tie. Wow. Yeah, but we'll get to that later. Okay. It was really funny to me how, like, obviously, like, it, the movie is set in pretty much the first part is, like, before World War One, and the second part is after World War One. but they don't really talk about the war at all. I had a hard time realizing, like, what time period it was set in. Because everyone else is, like, dressed for the era, but... Harper just looks like she's in the 60s. Yeah, like very, very 60s. Yeah, with um, her like beat. Like pantsuits, kind and, of. like her beehive and. Yeah. Uh, and her like smoky winged liner. But the, also, like, for something that's supposed to be taking place like right around the war, they don't really make any mention of it, even when like Nikki is going to Europe and shit, you know? Right. Yeah, that's true. I wasn't thinking about that. Because, yeah. yeah, they don't mention it. Yeah. Which is another reason why it's confusing. Right. As to what time period they're in. Because what it says when I, like, was looking it up was that, like, the first part is before the war and the second part is after the war. But it seems like the story is, like, a continuous story. Like, there's not, like, a break or something in the storytelling, you know what I mean? Well, there are quite a few time jumps. Right. But they're, I, they're mostly, mostly like six months or a year. Like, yeah. yeah. They, they very much clarify within the first couple lines like, how much time has passed. Yeah, like very like... <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I, like, I don't care if I haven't it's... seen you in how long? Oh, it's been six months. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I would say that to someone that I hadn't seen in six months. Yeah. So it's not unnatural. Sure. And I appreciate that they just get it out of the way. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know, I feel like I, I I watch a lot of other movies and they don't explicitly state how much time has passed and I have to, like, hunt for clues. Right. I mean, every movie should just have those, like, uh, those lame is things that just pop up and say the year and where it is. <laughs> okay, but so- sometimes it does feel insulting. Right. Sometimes it is, like... So, like, have that much, what is it called, exposition? Yeah. yeah. How do I know you? How it's long like has it been? It's like if they show, like, a woman... <laughs> finding out she's pregnant and then they flash forward nine months and say nine months later oh, right. and she has a baby. <laughs> like, yeah, I could tell. Right. Uh-oh, a woman threw up. She must be pregnant. 
Well, that or dying. Right. Always. Well, if she coughs, she's dying. If she throws up, she's pregnant. All right. So we better go ahead and jump in. It's already been way too long. It has. Yeah. Oh, my God. 20 minutes. All right. Yeah. Let's go into yeah. a recap. So We're going to cut, like, all of that. No. <laughs> um, so, so it opens with a very long overture with just a black screen. What? No, the one I watched had, like, Technicolor. Well, yeah, it eventually gets there, but, like, the first, like, five minutes of the, or, like, was it three, like, three to five minutes of, we're, like, in black, and then the, like... The uh, movie, like, truly opens with her walking into the Ziegfeld Theater. Yeah. And that head-to-toe cheetah print yeah. that we mentioned earlier. But I was going to mention the, like, in those first, like, title cards that it's, like, pictures like old-timey pictures but with this like psychedelic sort of like changing color thing happening yeah um which brings us into the 60s you know sure oh yeah so she's at Ziegfeld Follies she's walking into the theater with her name in lights and she's sort of just like you know wandering around and taking it all in so she sits down Mm -hmm. in the in the seats Emma comes in asks what she's doing Emma says, Mr. Zigfield wants to see you. She's she, like, oh, he wants to see me. Yeah, and I mean, it sort of leads you to think that this is a big deal, although you come but to find that she's... It's a big deal for different reasons than you think. Yeah. Because um, Emma's Emma, first of all, is like basically her assistant. Um, but yeah, Emma's like, it's today, isn't it? And you think it's like her... What it leads you to believe it's like is like maybe it's like her first big debut or something but it's really that it's the day that nikki gets out of prison Mm -hmm. but spoiler alert spoiler alert anyways uh fanny says she'll be there in a minute she's gonna take a few more moments to herself to reminisce and uh the first lines in the movie is when she looks in the mirror and says hello gorgeous Oh, yeah, that's right. She walks around backstage for a little bit uh-huh. before she sits down Yeah, and has that, that line, which is um, well-regarded, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But once she's sitting down after Emma has left, she is... We basically go into a flashback. The yeah, whole movie takes sort of, place in a flashback. She leans back and closes her eyes, and it's obvious that we're going into a flashback. Yeah, so we our first song is called If a Girl Isn't Pretty, uh-huh. which really sets the theme for at least the first half of the movie. That she's supposedly not pretty. I, I think it's more, I mean, yes, but I would say it's more she doesn't believe that right. she's pretty. Like, she has some pretty extreme self-esteem issues. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, And that's why she's quote-unquote, a funny girl. Mm-hmm. She feels like she has to compensate for her appearance. No one will believe with, that she's beautiful. Yeah, she has to be funny to right. be liked is is ultimately her mindset, yeah. which is so sad. Yeah. And I really don't know any woman that doesn't, like, relate to that a little bit. But, so, basically, Mrs. Strakosh is a bitch. I mean, she's just... You know, your average, like, nosy, busybody neighbor. Right. Um, she thinks that she won't make, she's not pretty enough, but her mother is very supportive. Rose is very supportive. If you thought that Mrs. Strakoff's voice sounded familiar at all, that's because she played Betty Boop 
and olive oil. Oh, I did notice that she had sort of that, you know, higher pitched kind of character. A, voice. a little cartoony. Yeah. Yeah. She also at one point played um, Popeye because the regular voice actor, a man, was away fighting in World War II. Oh. Yeah. Look at that. What's the actress's name? Uh, you know, I have it written down somewhere, but it's not in front of me, so we'll Whatever. never know. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> so she is going uh, to be a part of this show called Eight Beautiful Girls Eight. <laughs> I'm one of the beautiful girls. <laughs> it's called what? When she goes to when she goes to the stage door for like that first production that she's in that she gets fired from. Yeah. She's talking to like the the door guy, and she's like, eight beautiful girls, eight. I'm one of the beautiful girls. Eight beautiful girls, eight. <laughs> That's what the sign says because there's an eight on either side of the beautiful girls. Oh. Anyway, so um, she is on stage with all of these chorus girls and doesn't really know what she's doing. That's when Mr. Keeney comes in and fires her and and makes it pretty clear that it's because she just doesn't look like the right. other girls. Right. Her legs are skinny. Yeah. Um, they say she doesn't have the face. Right. Which is, like, I, I do understand where they're coming from, and I understand, like, why Barbara Streisand might have insecurities when mm-hmm. she was younger. Maybe today. I think probably only when she was younger, though. I hope only when she was younger. Um, but it is hard to, like, suspend disbelief. because I, I know, it's really like, hard to look at her and be like, oh, she's she so ugly. she so pretty in the whole movie. I know, yeah. she's gorgeous. Yeah. And I, I think it's also hard because, like, I, I guess we grew up with Barbara Streisand being an icon already. Right. So when we saw her, I think we were told, like, this is a beautiful woman. Right. So we don't see anything different. But I... I don't know. Like, I, I can understand why. Sh- I don't know. I'm trying to say I get it, but I don't see it. <laughs> right. I Yes. I Exactly. So, basically, so she, they're trying to, like, fire her and kick her out while she's singing I'm the Greatest Star. Right. Um, and she eventually runs back into the theater and the song ends with her alone on the stage, which she obviously loves. Yeah. So, I, I get the impression he was the casting director kevin um no i think his name is eddie ryan i thought she called him kevin she she probably said eddie at some point and i thought she said kevin and then i wrote down <laughs> kevin the rest of the time so. um anyways <laughs> okay well um eddie hears her sing mm-hmm. he applauds he is the guy that cast her, and she asks him, why did you actually hire me? And he says, it's because you wanted it so badly. Yeah. Well, he said, what is it? Doesn't he say, like, you're not a chorus girl. You're a, you're a singer yeah, and a lead. Yeah, and, he, yeah. yeah, he does recognize that she has a lot of talent. Right. So he asks if she can skate. She says, yes. Mm-hmm. Great. Come back Fake tomorrow. Fake it you make it. She cannot skate. She lied on her resume. Jo- yeah, she joins, like, a roller skating chorus line. Right. And they're all sort of dressed like vaguely as grapes. <laughs> like yes. grape Moulin Rouge dancers, uh-huh. kind of, um, with roller skates on. And what happens is basically becomes like her shtick as a performer, which is to be like the funny one who doesn't know what she's doing, you know. 
Yeah. She takes all of the other women out. Yeah. They're understandably kind of pissed. Yeah. But she's a huge hit with the audience. Right. So when the song is over, and it's called in the movie um, Roller Skate Rag. Uh-huh. When that ends, uh, they're exiting... But then the casting director guy, who is either Eddie or Kevin, (laughs) (laughs) he, like, pushes her back on stage, says, no, you stay out there. Go sing a song. And then he has to prevent, I think it's Georgia, Georgia James, I think she goes by in the movie. I I think it's her. Anyways, uh, he has to, like keep another girl from going out there to the extent that he rips her dress purposefully off. rips her dress off. <laughs> um, I mean, he steps on her train. It's not. Yeah, it, it's not as pervy as it sounds. Right. He didn't like mean to necessarily rip her dress. It's off. not great. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's also not that like um, debaucherous. No. So so she sings this uh, another song. um called I'd Rather Be Blue Over You Than Happy With Someone Else. It's beautiful. It is. And she's kind of she's kind of skating around the whole time. Yeah, suddenly she's like pretty okay at skating. Yeah. <laughs> as long as she doesn't have to stop. She, yeah, like she, she's bad at breaking, except for when she breaks really I mean, well. She can do her own thing. She just doesn't, <laughs> she can't do choreography. Yeah. But she glides very crazy. Yeah, and she's going backwards and stuff. Like, that's not how a first-time skater skates. Yeah. And kind of her whole thing is, like, um, her whole shtick is kind of just, like, taking the piss out of, like, the what people would think is, like, a serious element. You know what I mean? Taking the piss out of? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm Have British. you been watching a lot of British TV lately? Me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you watching? Um, wait, what? Am- oh, I've been watching um, RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the World. Okay, there you go. Um, anyway, um, but I mean, I don't know of another phrase that would mean the same thing. Basically, dunking on. <laughs> dunking on. <laughs> but just like, you know, making, like, taking something more lightly that some people would take seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah, just like poking fun at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Keeney, uh, is almost convinced. Obviously she has this problem where she disobeys her directors and stuff. And usually it's a hit and they're usually mad about it because she's, she was right. You know what I mean? Um, so the, she goes backstage and all the roller skate girls are kind of making fun of her. And then we get somebody appears backstage a knock on the door mm-hmm. yeah so um it's right when she's saying to uh, another woman says to her before um she's she's making a snide remark about no one's gonna discover fanny out in the audience she says who do you think is gonna see you florin ziegfeld right and um she says, yeah, you know, for all we know, he could knock on the door any day. And then all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. Right. And so they're all just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you manifest this? Yeah. <laughs> it's a secret. <laughs> but She's it's secreting. Not, but it's not Ziegfeld. <laughs> it's not Ziegfeld. It is Nikki Arnstein. Yeah. By the way, secreting is a Jenna Maroney thing. Right. <laughs> the secret, yes. I've been secreting. 
Okay. Anyways, yes, it's um, it's not Ziegfeld. It is, yeah, Nicky Arnstein. And what a handsome man. And like I said, I haven't, I had never seen this before. Obviously, I'd heard the songs, and I had always thought that in the um, I think it's and don't rain on my parade, where she says, "Hey, Mr. Arnstein." Yeah, I imagined I always, it's I like a producer was, or a casting director or And somebody. I always thought that his name was Onstein, like O-N. Oh, okay. I, I just never once thought that that song was about chasing a guy. Oh, yeah. I thought it was about, like, getting a part. Yeah. 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 So... I don't like it any less knowing that it is about chasing a guy. No. Other you than know that what? she's kind of an idiot. But. I Okay. Okay. Whoa. 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 Let's. All right. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. We'll, we'll get, get there, there yeah. when we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nikki Arnstein has come backstage to tell her how great she was. Um, he is seems to be like well known around town, but he doesn't really have connections to like the theater community. But everyone knows who who he is. Yeah, and he seems to be rich, but not like so rich that he can't cavort with actresses. He's, he's got ruffles, but they aren't starched. <laughs> right. <laughs> um she is just like obviously smitten. Yeah. From the moment she lays eyes on him. Obviously um, a beautiful man. Yeah, and I I wrote down like in my notes getting big new girl vibes. <laughs> <laughs> like Jessica Day. Wow, like, wow. Yeah, because she, she doesn't really hide it. You know what I mean? How about, how about? And I, I think that Fanny Bryce serves as inspiration for a lot of modern characters, particularly the girls that are more quirky or... I mean, she's kind of a manic pixie dream girl. I'm not going to lie. I found her kind of obnoxious for the first... I don't know, maybe forty-five minutes. Oh, I ca- yeah, I was really annoyed how she. Like, she really grew on me. Yeah. Especially once I realized that a lot of her behaviors and actions come from her insecurity. Oh, for sure. When you know, before I realized that, I thought she was kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, like she just doesn't know when to turn it off. Well, yeah. You know and, what I mean? And you know, when she finally—I mean, we'll get there—but when she finally gets hired. In the Follies, it's like, you just got, like, your biggest chance and you're already, like, flexing. I know. I know. I was like, girl, what are you doing? Just say okay. You can't. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll get there. So, anyway, basically, um, Nikki kind of goes to bat on her behalf, says says that he's, like, a scout for another theater company when he's talking to the the director of this show. And, like, gets him to up her salary by a lot. Yeah, he gets her to $50 a week, and it's only after Keeney walks away that, of course, Arnstein reveals there was no employer that he was authorized to negotiate on the behalf of. Um, Nikki is beckoned by his friends, his very rich, fancy friends. And he's obviously smitten with her. Yeah, but but she doesn't take it seriously. She doesn't take it seriously, and I think she's intimidated. Well, yeah, it's another part of her insecurity is that she she thinks that he couldn't be actually interested. Yeah, and I well, I think seeing the friends too kind of freaks her out. She's like, oh, I don't I don't fit in. Yeah, with that group. Um, But he invites her out, and she declines um, for the first time. 
Um, and he says that he hopes they'll meet again. And he leaves her with a kiss on the hand. And she says, Nikki Arnstein, I'll never see you again. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. Back we... at the saloon. <laughs> it's a salon. <laughs> I don't know where I got salon from. I and I saw that there is a long bar yeah. in the building, but and they're they're playing poker at the salu- at the salon. Well, I thought that was more of like um, I figured it was one of those situations where they live in the same space that they use for a commercial like, business. Sure, and that was like their break room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how I pictured it. Like a break room slash kitchen. And then the long bar, I just sort of. Like in my head, I can see hair dryers. <laughs> <laughs> she says saloon a number of times. I heard salon every time. <laughs> okay, anyways. So, um, uh, okay. Uh, there is a we telegram. Flash, yeah. I think this is where it's six we months later. We flash forward, yes. Yeah. And for some reason, all of the kids and a bunch of adults in the neighborhood are super stoked About that a telegram. a telegram is being delivered to the Bryces. Yeah, it doesn't really explain if, like, I don't know, nothing happens on, what what's the name of the street again? Henry. Yeah, nothing happens on Henry Street that one telegram I mean, gets everyone excited. Yeah, it remind, well, it's kind of, it reminded me a little bit of, um, I think they said the Western Union man is coming, mm-hmm. and it made me think about the Wells Fargo man. Oh, from Music Man. Right, and so I know that they used to get excited about, like... Any sort of delivery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, same, when when you get when your Amazon packages come, it's really exciting. Well, yeah, but the whole neighborhood doesn't come out <laughs> and cheer and, and applaud and see what it is. Oh, your milk frother came. <laughs> you bought one of those? Uh, yes, I did. That's great. Um, Anyways, okay, so... So Fanny and Kevin or Eddie turns are out, walking back to the... Salon yes. or saloon. She mentions she's been singing the same song for six months. Right. Um, but the telegram turns out is um, from the Follies, and it's to meet Florence Ziegfeld um, at the New Amsterdam Theater. Everyone is thrilled. Mm-hmm. She shows up to the theater. Uh, you know, we basically just immediately cut to her her audition where she sings the song Secondhand Rose. But she says, Gorgeous. but she says, and this is another part of her thinking that she doesn't deserve what she oh, gets. Oh, right. Or yeah. She has this like dramatic meltdown. She's like, I haven't suffered enough yet. I didn't work for it. This is about the time where I started kind of liking her mm-hmm. just because that, I mean, she was obviously being funny. Right. But I think a little bit truthful at the same time. Yeah, she didn't think she was overwhelmed. But the way she reacted and just like slammed her head on the table was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, she's really charismatic and likable, which is why this worked. So she sings uh, "Secondhand Rose" in the audition. Um, Ziegfeld loves it, um, and he gives her that number in the show, and he wants her to sing the finale. Right. So she obviously says, yeah, she says, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But then she looks at the sheet music, Mm -hmm. the sheet music for um, the finale number. And she has to go back out there and tell Ziegfeld that she cannot 
sing that song. And he's already gone up to the balcony where he's going to watch the rest of the show. It's like a big deal that he has to come back down. But she remains defiant and says that she won't do it because she says it's too embarrassing to sing lyrics like, I am the beautiful reflection of of my love's affection. Right. (laughs) So as you were alluding to earlier, when I'm watching this for the first time, I'm thinking, oh my God, what is her deal? Like, calm down. You do not have like enough authority you just you got don't your... have a you have no clout you have no position and this is your dream job yeah what are you doing right you can't refuse this right and uh, ultimately he says either you do this number or you're not in the show right and so she agrees to do the number and then we more or less cut immediately to the number itself. Yeah, so you don't see her sing the other the other song in the show. When we get to the finale number and it begins, this is when I start thinking, oh, okay, I, I kind of understand where she was coming from because this is super embarrassing. It is, yeah. So it's called... It's awful. It's called His Love Makes Me Beautiful. And it's just, yeah, it's very cringy. Yeah. Just like these, like beautiful lady tableaus of them and it's like it's so bad and it truly is about a, a woman who believes that she's beautiful because she is loved by a man oh yeah so uh, eventually it opens up to this huge like i guess what Ziegfeld is known for like a hu- like you know big huge set which is like staircases and chandeliers and stuff um where all of these beautiful feathered ladies are standing yeah and uh she comes down from the top right yeah and uh she's more or less hiding behind all these women with their i don't know maybe big feathers or something Mm -hmm. and the camera's zooming in as they go you know to the big reveal and once we finally see fanny she has um given herself a fake pregnancy belly Yes. And so it's now a joke. The right. whole song is a joke about and how it's, she's the most beautiful bride in the world and she's heavily pregnant. And it's really funny because like... It is really funny. Like, I'm the reflection of his love, meaning like this yeah. baby is the reflection of us doing it. Yeah, no. Um, she... she. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Like, it, it is incredible how funny the song becomes. Yes. When she gives it that spin... Um, Pretty much everybody loves it, except for... Ziegfeld. Yes. Because she... Defi- I mean, if it was his idea, he probably would have liked it. It's like, it's because she disobeyed him that he Well, and it was like controversial, it. and it was, yeah. A little body. Yes. Um, especially, I, I would imagine, for the 20s. Yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be the teens. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, but the audience loves it. They give her a standing ovation... Um, so he com- basically comes and grabs her from the wings and walks her back to her dressing room. Yeah. Just more or less awaits an explanation as to what she possibly was thinking. Uh-huh. Um, but it winds up being that he, I mean, he wants to fire her, but he can't deny her talent. So he tells her to keep doing what she's doing uh-huh. because it was such a huge hit. And he mentions that he's going to pick another new song. And then she pushes it again. Again. She's he's like, going to pick I another need, song for like, her. She's like, no, I need she to says, choose my own song. Yeah. She has to pick her own. 
<laughs> like she just almost got fired. Yeah. And she's doing it again. She, I mean, she knows her worth. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, she's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. She, she what she does is successful. It's true. But it's still like, girl, just. I know. She's stressful. It's yeah. stressful. So just then, Nick knocks on the door mm-hmm. once again. And Zigfield sort of takes his cue to leave at that moment. So yeah. they don't really settle the who's picking the next song issue. But um, Nick arrives, and it's apparent that he and Zigfield are friends. Like, they, there's a little exchange. They know each other, like, know of each other or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but you know. Nick swears it wasn't him that told Zigfield about Fanny. Right. That's never really cleared up. It's sort of a non-issue, but yeah, it I makes th- me think that he was. The fact that he said that he wasn't? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But anyways. Also, if your nickname is Nikki, I mean, you got to guess that there's some mob ties there. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't think there were necessarily mob ties. No, but I mean, like, uh, I mean, organized crime ties, like with bookies and stuff, you know. Well, not until, I mean, not until there was, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm, I'm assuming that, like. The gambling world and the. I think I think his name was Nick, and she just called him Nikki. Well, the, his his name his real name doesn't have. Um, let me see, doesn't even have Nick in it. His real name. Uh, let me see. Um, Julius W. Nikki Arnstein. Okay, whatever. <laughs> it it does not matter. It Anyways. Doesn't. So, um, <laughs> he got her flowers, he got her flowers and he asks her out once again. She declines once again to go to the salon, <laughs> hang out with Where everyone's her drinking, neighbors. Everyone's drinking at the salon. Right. <laughs> and, and I believe it's at this point that, or is it? No, it's probably later. No, it is. It is. It's at this point where, um, he goes there with her. Yeah, but right before the mom and Strakosh and Eddie Ryan or Kevin <laughs> had shown up and mentioned um, that they were having the like the mom. I remember the mom invited right, right. Zigfield. She said there will be free beer. Right, and she's about to get her lashing from uh, yeah. Zigfield. Yeah, we we skipped over that. But yeah. anyways, okay. So Nick, much to Fanny's surprise, agrees to go. Yeah. Well, she thinks that he's, like, too high class for that, but he's not. Sure, yeah. He's not. He's a cool dude. Yeah, and they're playing poker. He's in his element. So handsome. He plays poker with the ladies, which Mrs. Strakoff finds to be suspicious. No, it's her mother. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Mrs. Strakosh is um, playing poker with uh, Nikki. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess it's her that insists that they go be alone. It is. Yeah. But it's the mom who is watching him play poker, and she comments how comfortable he looks. Right. How familiar he seems. And she has a statement about, you know, I believe that strangers should act strangely. Right. Or something like that. Which like, is, she just, her her alarms are raised. Which is kind of an act one gun when you think about it. I mean, it's it is... 
Is a what? An Act One gun. A what? Basically, just a um, a foreshadowing event that happens in the beginning of, of a movie. Act One gun. Uh huh. I've never heard that before. They use it on this pod, on my <laughs> on my RuPaul recap podcast. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay, well, but it's you know, you it's, know I'm not that cool. Yeah, but it's a foreshadow to what will ultimately happen with his gambling. You know, mm-hmm. they're putting that seed in your head. Okay, Act One Gun. Uh huh. Um, but he's playing poker, and he actually um decides to let one of the old ladies win. He doesn't take his four aces this is straight kosh yeah yeah. Uh-huh. yeah um fun fact in real life the actor omar sharif loved the game of bridge oh so much that he authored and co-authored a number of books on the game he had a syndicated weekly i i guess newspaper column about, about bridge. bridge and he also licensed his name and likeness and voice, I believe, to a computer bridge game. Oh. Yeah. And I mean, he would like, he, he was also known to like postpone filming so that he of, could. like bridge tournaments? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's kind of cute. Yeah. He was a big bridge player. Also, he was really into horse racing. So that part of his character was not a stretch either. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um... So Mrs. Straycosh insists that they like, go be alone well she leaves them alone at the table yeah and then they go for a walk in the alley which is just a different world than i've ever seen portrayed in the early 1900s like on tv like a couple being alone together like especially an older woman encouraging oh yeah that a couple be left alone together yeah just another thing that lent to my uh, confusion about what time period we were in. Yeah, it's never, like, a big deal that they, like, have sex before they get married or anything. And, I mean, this is all supposed to be a true story, so... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's sort of... Maybe they weren't such bad times. I mean, that part of it is really sort of a a non-issue, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... And she's she is always talking about his like indecent proposals and stuff, which I don't know. It didn't seem to me like he was trying to like bone her, but she kept saying that he was. You know what I mean? I think like back then it was one of those things where women just assumed they're only in it for one thing. I mean, they can probably assume that now too. Pro- well, sometimes yes. <laughs> <laughs> But he's making a move. Not always. He's making his move. He's kind of leaning, you know, leaning in on the wall. Yeah, I guess so. But she's always, I mean, she's always trying to put distance between them. And I do think he's respectful. Yeah, I agree. Of that distance. But also, she's putting up that distance because she, again, like, she has no confidence in herself. She doesn't think that she deserves it. She is just so nervous. Right. And she doesn't, yeah, she just doesn't know how to handle it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're just sort of yelling at her like, oh, just kiss him. I mean, until the very end, she still thinks that he's somehow too good for her because he's so handsome or whatever, you know. He is super handsome. He is. But he has problems, yes. which we're going to get to. Yes. Um, She says that she has th- been thinking about him nonstop. 
and she like apologized for how much she talks and he says that he loves how much she talks. Yeah, so where are we? Oh, we're okay, They're so they've the gone out into the alley mm-hmm. for some privacy. Yeah. And she says that she's never had a boyfriend, which I'm guessing is meaning that she's a virgin, but who cares? <laughs> Actually, no, I mean, actually, you know what? That's like made clear. Yeah. Yeah. That's made clear later on. Yeah. Oh, this is where I wrote. It's taking me out of it that she's actually so pretty. She is so pretty. And there's a lot of soft lighting. They oh, love yeah. to We've do that the in six, the 60s. We got the 60s fuzzy love filter. Yeah. Sparkly eyes. Unnecessary because she looks gorgeous either way. Um, and this is when she sings People. Uh, one of the first songs in the show that is not like an actual performance on a stage. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, not a musical within a musical. Right. It's a natural, I guess, um, reaction right. to what's happening. And I like that there's both in this. I do too, um, especially because the stage numbers are fairly limited. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good balance of it. it it's kind of in the same way that they did um, White Christmas Right. Where, well, actually, mm, the, there are. I don't know if that's fair to say. I think there's less stage performances in this one than there were right. in White Christmas. I mean, it's really front heavy with the stage. It is. Um, with the stage numbers in this one. With all the musical numbers in general, yeah, it's actually really front heavy. There's not many songs in the second act. No, there's not. Um, But, uh, so this is her just like. You know, singing about how people need love and blah, blah, blah. And he is just kind of looking at her ad- ad- admiringly. Right. So Arnstein uh, mentions, he says after the song, <laughs> he mentions, he says to her after the song that he wishes he could stay and get to know her better, but he's got to catch a train to Kentucky. Yeah. Like, Kentucky? Horse what? Race. Yeah. Kentucky? Ugh. Lame. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's got to see a man about a horse. Yeah, and and there, yeah, there's a pretty funny little exchange. He says he's uh, he has a half interest in a farm that breeds horses, and she says, "What's the matter? They can't do it alone." <laughs> <laughs> there are so many asides like that that she that are in this that you can't even write all of them down. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, So she accepts the whole horse breeding thing, whatever, and walks him to his car. And he's kind of hard to read because he's obviously been like pursuing her this whole time. And then she walks, he walks, she walks him to his car and he's like, I just can't, uh, you know, I'm too tied down to have any definite plans. So for me, this is red flag number one. Yeah. And it is just, uh, it is so frustrating. If he's leaving tomorrow and he was pursuing her that hard, then he all he did want was. And and the fact that he's just comfortable saying, like, I just float freely. I do what I want without any regard. Oh, I can't. Yeah. For the other people in my life. I can't be tied down. I don't, really, I don't really have a home base. Yeah. Yeah. Red flag. Huge like, red flag. And, you know, on, only in your early 20s do you accept that. Right. But that's where we're at in the movie. Yeah. In Fanny's life. So he drives away and then she finishes the song. 
yeah. Did we say that they kissed? They did kiss. Oh, they did have a passionate kiss. It was really romantic. Yes. I mean, look, like, Nick sucks, but is he a heartthrob? 100%. He's hot, and they have chemistry. Yeah, they do. So, yes, it's about a year later. Um, It's actually a year and two weeks. Right. Which will later be clarified. But the Ziegfeld girls... Ziegfeld. Ziegfeld. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I keep wanting Ziegler. to say Ziegler, yeah. <laughs> the Ziegfeld girls are on tour. They've stopped in Baltimore. They're coming off of the train. And interestingly, all of the girls are in these very bright, vibrant colors, except for Fanny. She's in a very dull, like monotone tones. gray. Yeah. Um, but, but the photo, the photographers want pictures of her. Yeah, she's like she, the star now. She really, and she seems to really enjoy her little mini photo session. Um, yeah, based on her character, you'd think that she would have been like more self-conscious about. I just that. get the impression that she is sad because she hasn't heard from Nick right. in apparently a year. Yeah. And, and he was supposed to get get back in touch whenever he came back to town or whatever. Right. And so, I mean, she's she's a star, but she's sad internally. And so that's why she's wearing these dull gray colors. She's in mourning. <laughs> Half mourning. Yeah. Um, but, of course, she gets off the train. She takes her pictures. And then, lo and behold, Who's there? there's old Nicky Arnstein. He's there at the train at station. At the train station. And he pulls this little trick on her. He's like, I'm actually here to meet another girl. She's a horse. <laughs> That's an, it for was for Elsie. Um, Elsie, yeah. Who is his like prize-winning his race, race horse? horse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nick asks her out to dinner once again, and she turns him down once again. Again, and he yeah. says, "I've got a private dining room. Like I'll be there no matter what. So if you want to come, come." She says. No law against waiting. People wait all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously alluding to, you made me wait a year. So Right. F you. Yeah. Um, later on, she's getting ready for dinner, obviously, but she refuses to say out loud that she is going to dinner. Right. But she does. She arrives at this all red, like, art deco, I guess, kind of. Very private dining sexy boudoir establishment. sort of <laughs> private dining room. There is a like chaise lounge. Yeah, I said. And there, I said it has a fucking couch. <laughs> yeah, and she also <laughs> immediately comments on that. Yeah. Um, and asks, like, "What do you got? What do you got on ideas?" <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they. I mean, there's back and forth, but ultimately they they hit it off. Yes, and he gets her a gift of a... a, He gives her a a blue marble egg. Yeah. Which was just something that he bought for himself in Rome, and he really loved. So he wanted to give it to her. Right. Which, okay, sure. Sure, it's an egg. I'll take it. She says something like, someone lay an egg on the table? (laughs) I know, because she just, like, she cannot yeah. quit cracking jokes. Yeah, like, she and just... that's her defense mechanism. I know, you know, I know. I just I just want to shake her and be yeah. like, love yourself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he gives her a glass of sherry and she shoots it. Right, yeah. Um, and he asks why she's angry. 
And obviously, she like erupts and says, "I'm not angry." Yeah, <laughs> but it's obvious why she's angry because he didn't call her for yeah, a year. Yeah. Right. Um, but he says that he wanted to stay away because um, she wouldn't know how to handle it. It's like write me a letter and tell me that. Right. You know, if you really want to keep away, don't put a return address on right. it. Right. And Give don't assume. W- and don't assume what I can handle or not. Oh. But I. Don't he's tell also, me. And and here, oh, it drives me nuts that he's right though, because like she wasn't ready. No, (laughs) she wasn't. She still isn't. She's but but she's more ready, but she says right. Yeah, like Nick is a catch at this point. (laughs) Yes, I hate to say it, but he is. I mean, I feel like he's like boyfriend or like hookup material he's 100 percent. he's not marriage material. Exa- uh, yes yes definitely, i couldn't put it better that's what it is have that relationship yes. you know what i mean don't get married but have a relationship with him absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah he is worth your time for a relation and see where it goes yeah see where it goes yeah yeah but she is too you know she's too blind to see any of his well she wants to be a sadie right Sadie is Mrs. Straykosh's daughter. daughter. Married daughter. She's married to a dentist. So being a Sadie in this movie means that you're married. Yeah. And that's important to Fanny because it's not something that she ever really saw for herself. Right. Yeah, because she never thought of herself as, like, worthy of a man or whatever. Yeah. Um, So then he orders for them. In, but it's in like French or something, and she's like, "I would have gotten roast beef and potatoes," and she's which like, is what he ordered. He's like, "What did you order?" He said, "Roast beef and potatoes." Yeah, it's just cute. Yeah, um, he knew. So then they sing, "You are woman, I am man." Yeah. So, but for this song, I would say literally anybody, like any handsome man, could be in this role. Yeah. Um. He's not he's not a singer. I mean, probably like, still with the song, yeah, in the movie. Like as long as you're not completely tone deaf. Yeah. And, and you're handsome. Is, and I think this you is could, like you could do this, but still, oh, I love him. This is like the only time he sings though, right? Yeah, it's only that's what I mean. Yeah. Like I like I think that you have to be a decent singer, but as long as you're not tone deaf, you could Yeah, any, and it's any not like a very guy. challenging song. Nor is it a challenging role. I find it a little refreshing that, you know, when you really think about it, at the end of the day, like, Omar Sharif's character is total eye candy in the movie. But, like, isn't it nice that it's the guy for once? Yeah, he's, like, yeah. He is the, like, pretty boy arm candy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, But anyway, (laughs) the, the point of this song is, like, basically, like, I am woman, you are man. Like, what more can I say? You know, I am which was man, you are woman. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But it was giving me <laughs> skater boy vibes. <laughs> what do you he mean? was a boy, she oh, was a God. girl. Can I make it any more obvious? <laughs> which is the point of this? Which is always so funny whenever I heard that song. It's like, can I make it any more obvious? Yeah, well, yeah. Hey, do you want to know a fun a fun fact that has a connection to Canada? Uh, sure. So, um, Barbara Streisand, uh-huh. a lot of famous romances yes. in her life, uh-huh. in her public life. One of them was with Pierre Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, Justin's and Justin Trudeau's father. dad. Oh. Yeah. Like, right after this movie. 
69 is he, to is he 70. Is really his dad, though, or was it Fidel Castro? <laughs> what? Have you heard that, that conspiracy theory? I have not heard that. <laughs> I will say I see the resemblance, but Pierre was not as handsome as Justin. I think Justin got a lot of looks from his mom because Pierre was, well, but also Pierre was 50 when she dated him and she was like 27, yeah. 28. Um, but uh, I hear he was a great guy, so whatever, yeah. you know. Um, Justin Trudeau, recast. <laughs> He's Nikki. <laughs> Wait, so what is the conspiracy theory about Justin Trudeau's dad as th- Fidel Castro? Yeah, there's like a conspiracy. I don't know exactly the details. I mean, that's the gist of it. Did you know that Ted Cruz's dad is the Zodiac, the Zodiac killer? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know that Avril Lavigne died in 2005? Also Paul McCartney. <laughs> wow. Wow. So many dead Paul celebs. is dead. <laughs> Um, okay. And so during this song, she's kind of got, this doesn't really happen any, I guess it might, it might a couple times later, but it's like, she's got like an internal monologue part of the song, you know? Go on. Um, so, <laughs> so she's just like saying like what her doubts are and stuff in her head rather than singing them out loud. Right. Okay. Um, which I'm assuming she just sings them out loud if it's on the, in the stage show or whatever, you know? Um, but she's got so many funny lines in this song. She says, how, how many girls become a sinner while they're waiting for a roast beef dinner? <laughs> um, and she's, like, talking about, like, trying to become celibate because she doesn't want to, like, give in to him. She's like, would a convent take a Jewish girl? <laughs> Where? I don't have notes on this. At all. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I just wrote down, because there are so many funny lines in this. I have back at the salon. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're on the, well, they're on the, they're on the fucking couch and they kiss. And she says, if I stop him now, can he sue me? <laughs> and they lay down and it's kind of implied that they do it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now back at the saloon salon. <laughs> Mrs. Bryce and the neighbors, they're playing another game of poker. Uh-huh. Mrs. Bryce tells them that Fanny called long distance from that morning. Baltimore. All the way from Baltimore. And, and like the, the women are like, she must be tired. And while Fanny didn't say as much, uh, Mrs. Bryce understands um, that she's obviously running around with a boy. Right, because she's not tired. She's actually giddy. And she's doing all this sightseeing. And and in fact, Fanny later comments, like, I've been to this city so many times and I had no idea how beautiful it was. Right. Because every city is beautiful when you're in love. It's like Cleveland on 30 Rock. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good... Yeah, I love that. Uh Um, So, yeah. So, Nick and Fanny, we, we cut to them in Baltimore. They're at like a lobster shack yeah and she's out on a dock about to have her third one yeah and apparently she just tried her first right um but it's their last day together she has to go to chicago and she wants him to come with but he says he can't and she is obviously like um i don't know what to call this um i mean she's mesmerized by the by the Lobster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she's... 
No, she's in love. Like yeah. she is totally. But she just had sex for the first time. Yeah, she's she's dangerously attached. Is what I wrote down. Sure. Um, I think that he is in love with her too. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, but I do too. He's more freewheeling. Right. And, you know, he didn't have to tease her with the fact that he says um, he says that yesterday I was planning on coming with you, but now I can't. And it's like, why would you mention that? Right. Like, if you can't, don't tell me that you thought you were gonna yesterday. Yeah. And um, this is the first time he lost all of his money. Yeah. So, okay. So he says that because he lost in the horse race so badly, he's lost his horse and his interest in the farm. And so his plan to recoup that money is to go on a cruise to Europe, somewhere in England, I guess. Uh huh. But not to go to England, but to just play poker with all the old rich men. Yeah. On the boat. Right. And she's like, wait, you can't come with me because you have to play poker with a bunch of old guys on a boat. And he says, yes, precisely. Even though you don't even want to go there. <laughs> yeah. It's not about the destination. It's about the climb, baby. And he's like, look, I told you that I don't like to be tied down. <laughs> so she gets up. She walks out. Um, she cancels her third lobster order. And he and- says that he says... That he likes her because a girl who has her own work is too busy to get lonesome. Which, like, okay, I see how it is. Yeah, so I think there's... a. I have questions about this movie overall and, like, what is the message? Because there is definitely a theme of career-oriented women don't make good wives. Yes. That, that comes up. Again and again and again. That there's not really a way for her to have it all. But I also, I don't think that is the message of the movie. Mm -hmm. Especially when I found out that it's a true story. I think, number one, it is what it is. Like, it's it's what happened. Uh, But number two, I do think that ultimately she... She matures. She she becomes a much stronger person. Yeah. By the end of the movie. Um, and also something that happened in real life that isn't in the movie is that he went, he, their courtship is much longer and he actually went to jail for a couple of years while they were dating before they got married. Oh, interesting. So she knew that he was potentially a criminal before they got married. Okay. Yeah, but in this movie, it's sort of implied that, like, she's missing all of the clear signals that he's a criminal. Right. Or not a criminal, that he's a problem gambler. I mean... Because he's not a criminal until a little bit later. Right. In the movie. Right. It's implied, I think, that she is blinded by her love for him and by his beauty and stuff and doesn't really see any of his negative Well, and she's never been really, like, charmed or pursued before, we're we're told, more or less. Which is why she shouldn't have married him. But... I but I I mean you also have to keep in mind if this is in fact you know the early twenties or the late teens. If you get to this point, you probably are should get married. Yeah, I mean people consensus. got married on a lot less. Yeah, you know True. you're right. And it was much more of an aspiration. Yeah. Um, I think the only difference with Fanny and most women is that Fanny 
actually had a career to fall back on. Right. You know, she was very lucky in that sense. Most women wouldn't really have an option. Right. And unless, you know, she starts putting her own money into it, which she wants to, which is dumb, then she's still set. You know what I mean? He is. He's very lovable, though. He's not the worst. No, and he doesn't really want. He doesn't. He's not a provider, but she doesn't need a provider. She doesn't need a provider, and he doesn't. He's not a freeloader. He doesn't want her to be the. The problem is he wants to be a provider for a woman that doesn't need a provider. Exactly, and that's why they're not good for each other. Right, but he also wants a woman who works because she's too busy to miss him. So there's right, like, and he loves her talent. Yeah, and he respects her talent. Yeah, so it's it's basically that he just can't handle not being successful. Right, he just it it eats a I mean eats his, Adam. Too I mean much. his job is gambling. It's not like can you call that success? I know, <laughs> I know. I mean, so many red flags. Yeah. Again, this is why he's great to date. Don't marry him. Right. Um, but this is the first time he says he loves her, which and she and they kiss passionately, but she doesn't respond. It's really it is romantic though. Yeah, I mean all of it is so. They're romantic. on the dock. They just had lobster. Yeah, yeah. I can see why she's. Um, but anyway, she doesn't she doesn't say it back. But I think it's kind of implied. The next day, she is at the train station. Uh-huh. Um, they are on their way to Chicago. Yeah. And somehow he has managed to get flowers delivered to the train station, the classic yellow roses, yeah. which he always sends. Mm. And by the way, when she enters the train station, I thought it was interesting how, so remember earlier, she comes off the train and all gray, very drab, but her personality is bright. Yeah. In this scene, she's dressed in all bright orange. But she's more somber. But she's very somber. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she gets the flowers, Which and all of a say, sudden she really perks up. And the flowers and also I say, love I love you. you. Yeah. Yeah. And so she decides all of a sudden, I'm not going to Chicago. I'm yeah. going to go chase after Nick. I'm going to follow him, get on this boat, and go on the old man cruise. I was so mad at her. All of the other women were, too. Yeah. They were trying to really talk her out of it. I was not mad at her about it. Really? I really wasn't. Okay. I think that she had a lot of valid points, and I think that she was recognizing her self-value. I'm not saying that chasing after Nick, per se, is, like, a great thing to do. But, going but the with fact her... that she was saying, like, my personal life yeah. is coming first. And you know what? Her gut, like, has yes, girl. her gut is usually right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think she was looking out. She was looking out for number one. <laughs> and at this point, it's obvious that nothing that she does is going to get her fired from I mean, Zinfo. yeah, she is the star. <laughs> yeah. She made a valid point on the phone. She said, you don't need me. You've got so-and-so and so-and-so. And, so and, so. and you've got only two weeks left on tour. Right. And, it, like, I fine. need to have a personal life if I'm going to continue to be the star of your show. Right. So good for her, I yeah. said. And then she sings Don't Rain on My Parade, which... Yeah. You know, probably the biggest song from the movie. Yes. I mean, it is. It's hands down the biggest song or the most um, replicated or um, redone song. Fucking Leah Michelle. Covered. Covered is the word I'm looking for. (laughs) Redone. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was cool what she did. 
So she gets to the boat. Oh, but one one of the one of the girls says to her, she's like, I know this sounds right for you, but is it right for Nick? Georgia James. And I was like, Yeah. She's not thinking about like Yeah. No, and I was scared. Yeah. I was worried that Nick wasn't gonna be happy. Or like she'd get on the boat and there was like another girl or something. I know. Yeah. It could have been anything. Yeah. But she she does make it onto the boat. She has to catch a tugboat. And there's like that epic, you Wait know. Wait a sec. Is, is Nikki Arnstein the proto Che Diaz? <laughs> the who? Did you watch, did you watch, um, and just like that? No. Oh. <gasps> no, I did not. I won't, I won't. Che Diaz is the Sarah Ramirez character that everyone hated. Oh, oh, I know what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sure. She Miranda, was, um, Miranda drops they. She was um, Callie on Grey's Anatomy. They. I'm sorry. Uh, I meant the actress. Also non-binary. My bad. They were Callie on Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving she, along. So she sings Don't Rain on My Parade and it ends with her on this. I'm assuming the tugboat is like taking her to the cruise ship or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're yeah, we've moved on. We're yeah. on the boat now. Yeah. I just wasn't the big boat. I wasn't clear on the like logistics of how she got. Well, there, I mean, but. she was on a small boat and then she wound up on the big boat. So I think it's safe to assume okay. that the small boat <laughs> took her to the big boat. <laughs> but it's like, but what I'm saying is that like it looks, it seems like she like missed the cruise or something. She did, and she had to take the tugboat to the cruise. Yes. Okay. I think you pieced that together perfectly. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so that's how the first act ends. And the yeah. second act is like much longer, I mean, much, excuse me, much shorter and like less dense yeah. than the first act. So they go to dinner. She's, because he's very happy to, to see her on the boat, by yeah. the way. Yeah. So they go to dinner. Um, they're super duper in love. She's wearing this really incredible dress. Oh, yeah. Gown, maybe pantsuit type thing. And very flowy. It's almost completely sheer. It reminded me of Rihanna's naked dress. Yeah. But like looks, 60s. She looks great. Yeah. It, really gorgeous. Um, they go into dinner and, and she, she... She wants to go gamble with him or like go watch him play poker. Basically. Well, uh, for a very important reason being that, you know, she brings up, you know, where I'm from when two people really love each other, they agree to get married. Oh, right, 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 right. And then yeah. he, uh, like, they go back and forth, but eventually he says, okay, why don't we get married? But he has to make his money back first. But he has to make his money back first. And yeah. so she says, she she practically begs him, well, let me come since my whole future as a Sadie is riding on this. Right. Because if he doesn't win, then they're not going to get married. Right. So she does join him for a little bit. Promises that she can have a poker face. She can't. She cannot. <laughs> Although is she, it ends up working. Um, when it comes down to it, he. I mean, she knows when to turn it off. Yeah. But he, I think, is really anxious with her being there. So he just sort of says, all of a sudden, like, "It's time oh, for you it to late? leave." Right. She's like, "Okay, bye." So she waits up for him. She falls asleep on the couch. He comes back, and I guess he like. I mean, he purposefully slams the door to wake her up. Right. And um, And he's being like... Very coy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, lo and behold, he has, in fact, won the money. And he tells her in a very cute way. Yeah. 
he says something. He says something to her where he um, he, says, he like, calls her Sadie. Gone, yeah. he calls her Sadie. He says you should have gone to bed, Sadie. Yeah. As something something something, and, like, and then she responds, but then she realizes, wait, you just called me Sadie. Sadie. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cute. It's cute. It's pretty cute. Um, so they get married. I flash think. forward to her huge diamond bonkers, ring, and they're like mil- so big. They're millionaires now. Yeah, um, they get married. She sends a postcard to mom. Mm-hmm. They move into a country estate mansion. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think um, was actually on Long Island, I believe. Sure, whatever. Um, so she sings uh, Sadie, Sadie, which is all about being married. And it's sort of like a montage of like, first, well, first they're at the European hotel and they come, yeah, like you said, they come back to their house. Um, he says that he's got, he's going to make so much more money on a Florida deal. Um, he says, but there's nothing to worry about, which... Sounds like a... Whatever you say, Nikki. Whatever. Uh, sort of a marriage montage. Um, it shows them, like, having, like, al fresco lunch on the lanai with Ziegfeld. Yeah. And so then all I'll... of a sudden, she's... Baby. Pregnant. Uh-huh. And, and now she's singing a beautiful reflection of my love's affection with actual sincerity. Right. Um, they have a daughter named Frances. Uh-huh. And flash forward, da-da-da-da-da. He gets, Fanny. The ba- he gets the baby a pearl necklace. <laughs> right, and Fanny is back in the theater. Yes. And Nick is in Oklahoma trying to strike oil or something. Yes. Um, she says that he calls every night. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And then he returns home, and it it appears that the venture in Oklahoma was not going fine. They didn't strike oil. They struck nothing. They have to sell the house and get an apartment. Pretty much, but... I don't think they ever do, though. No, they do. They move, for sure. Um, But importantly, before that happens, like, she sort of preempts that conversation... I think, you know, despite the arguments that, like, she's a bad wife or whatever, she does understand that he's... Well, yeah, she doesn't care that he's lost, and she understands that his pride is hurt. So before he says, we have to move, she says, you know, I'm getting really tired of the commute Yeah, to the theater. Uh, they're cute together. Yeah, like, she she says, why don't we get an apartment? Why don't we move closer? Or she gives him the opportunity to suggest, why don't we just move closer to the theater? Right. So that he doesn't have to say, I lost the house. He does, anyway. Right. But you know, I think she she is looking out for his pride in that in that conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's cute. Um. So two weeks later or so, Nick is at a casino. Yes. And news about his failure and the oil drilling venture has spread all around town. It's all over town. And um, what's his name? Tom, the gambling house guy. Bronca, Bronca, whoever owns Mr. Bronca, whoever owns the casino or whatever. Yeah, he says that like, is this when he's? Is this when this happens? Oh yeah, he says that because there's such a big spotlight on Fanny, that's why things get go around so much about him. Right. So Nick is like, okay, I gotta go gamble some money to prove my 
uh, alpha manliness. It's also obviously based on everyone else's costumes, the 20s now. Like you see like flapper dresses and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So um, he, uh, the the friend, the casino owner tries to talk him out of it. He's supposed to be at the theater for Fanny's opening night of a show called The Swan. Yeah. It's a very, uh, it's like comedic take on Swan Lake, right. I guess. But anyways. Which is another, I mean, it's just her whole deal where she, like, it's something serious that she turns into a, you know. A, a joke. A satirical take on it or whatever. Yeah. Um, something that was also especially written for this movie. But anyways, mm-hmm. he... Uh, he says he'll he'll be there in time. He's this, not, well, yeah. you know, he's not. He knows he's not going to make it. Everyone knows at this point he's not yeah. going to make it. Emma calls him or sends a message to him or whatever at the casino, and he says that he'll try to be there by the second act. But yeah, there's doesn't. no way. No. So when he finally comes home, she's waited up for him, mm-hmm. um, and they get into a fight. He he his position is mostly like. Gambling is my job. <laughs> this is what I do. So why shouldn't it be just as important as your opening night? And I mean, I guess in his defense, like she's probably had a lot of opening nights, right? But also, like you're saying, your job is gambling, right? So that's and not also, a job. Even if she, even if she does have a lot of opening nights, it was really important to her that he was there. It was really important, and gambling's not a job, right? It's not. Yeah. I Unless mean, just, you're on Wall Street. It's okay if that's really important to you, but don't call it a job. Right. You know? It's how he makes his money. I wouldn't call it a job. You know what I mean? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, she actually has a job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> I said... When he tries to equate it. Like I said, even if he has seen a bunch of her shows, she told him how important it was for her yeah. that he was there, and he still missed it. And I And I do understand, like, why he's upset yeah and why he's got this like internal struggle i mean he feels emasculated but like get over it but he feels emasculated because you know it, it is you know at this time in history and he's expected to provide for her and he can't you know sure uh and at no point though in the movie does he like even consider earning money through any means other than gambling yeah so it's just uh he would never, yeah, it, it doesn't even occur to him to try to, like... Can't be tied down. Have a straight job, you know? Yeah. But he is really cute. Um, so there's that. And he actually says something that's very true. She's And she says, everyone has bad luck sometimes. He says, <laughs> you don't. Which is kind of true. Like, everything comes up fanny, you know It's also I mean? very dismissive of her entire life experience. That's true. You know, like saying that it's like luck rather than her hard work to say that she's like had an easy life, I think would be extremely unfair. You're right. Yeah. But things do tend to work out for her, but that's because of her. She's also worked very hard. Yeah. 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 To to make that happen. Yes. Yeah. She hasn't. I mean, she has taken risks. There is an analogy there. Yeah. But she's put a lot more effort yeah. Uh, to secure her bets than than he has. Yeah, and she's always right <laughs> with I mean, her kinda, with yeah. her like gambles yeah. or whatever. She's the star of the show. Yeah, but you know who doesn't like this? Rose, the mom. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and she is actually the one that thinks that 
no matter if his pride is injured or something, that that Fanny should try to help him. Yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, that big theme of Fanny is too self-focused comes in rather yeah. rather strongly. I mean, she ultimately, I mean, she says that more or less Yeah. to Fanny, that she's been too distracted with herself to notice that her husband has been struggling for months. Yeah. And I mean... And she's, yeah, she's blinded by... It is true that her husband has been struggling. Yeah. But I think there's also, like, a level of naivete there that's not really, like, it's not selfishness. Yeah, it's naivete. You know what I mean? She sort of has, she has this idea that everything's going to work out. You know what I mean? I mean, her mom says, okay, so your problem is you only see him the way you want to see him. Right. You are purposefully ignoring the bad things. She's blinded by her idea of him. And I don't know. Maybe that's true. Yeah. But he also promotes a version of himself that doesn't have these problems. True. Yeah. I mean, he puts himself out there as this, like, you know, debonair world. Everything's fine. Person who, but he's really just a gambler. Yeah. Um, But she takes him at what his face value is to him. I just, I think he puts it best. And she agrees when they say, we're just not good for each other. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. Yeah. And even... There's nothing wrong with either of them. I mean, he might have a gambling problem. (laughs) Yes. He definitely has a gambling problem. (laughs) And he has too much pride to... Well, we'll get there. Um, But even her mom says that she's heard about his money, money problems all around town, too. Yeah. It is all around town everywhere. So now he's at the racetrack. Mm. Um, and some sleaze ball approaches him with some ideas, you know. He's a bookie. Yeah. He's named Peterson, and he wants he needs a front man. He needs a guy with a clean record. Yeah. To be the face of some phony bond mm-hmm. deal that he wants uh to 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 go down. Um, and Nick he, a, a, initially says absolutely not. Right. <clears throat> and he he tries to like emasculate Nick again by saying that Fanny's his meal ticket. Right. Which, of course, he hates. Nick goes home angry. Um, Eventually, he winds up giving the guy a call back. Well, because Tom, I think his name is Tom, the casino owner comes over because he and Fanny have hatched this plan. Right. She's going to invest money into a new location without telling Nikki. And that... And so it's suspicious to Nikki because he's not he's going to be part they owner want without him to having be a partner. any investment. Yeah. yeah. And and they say uh, Mr. Bronca, perhaps Tom Bronca, uh-huh. says that, well, it's not your money we want. It's you. Yeah. But even if you look at it from the best, you know. Like so how am I an owner without an investment? It just doesn't make any sense. No. And it's pretty obvious. And then eventually confirmed that, oh, it's because... Uh, Fanny put, Fanny it, put in $50,000. Yeah. Um, so this is funny to me, too, because they've obviously been married for a while. And they've kept their funds separate. Yeah, that they would have separate money. It's very modern. Yeah. Good for them, but so interesting. But it's also, I mean, like, I don't know. That's how people keep secrets. 
I mean, yeah, I don't know either because it's not like she had a ton of money when they got married. No, but at this point, she's been a star for a long time. But $50,000 is a lot of money back then. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's not. I'm saying when they first got married, there was no reason to have like a prenup or anything like right, that. Right. There was no reason to like legally keep their money, their separate. finances separate. Yeah. Yeah. So this is why, I do, yeah, I don't really understand it because at the at the end of the day, it's their money. Together. I mean, he does seem like a fit, even though he winds up being really uncomfortable with it. I think that he wants to be a very modern guy, and I think he wants to encourage her to have. I mean, he does say that he he likes that she has her own life. Right. So, but I don't know. Maybe a... he was, like, you know, uh, in favor of her just keeping her, the money she earned separate. Sure. Because it's her money. And that, way, mean, and that way he's not gambling with her money. Yeah. I guess that makes sense, too. I mean, for all of his problems, he did have, I think he did know where to draw the line mm-hmm. when it came to overlapping gambling with his family life. But as far as her using her money to make this investment, that's a bridge too far for him. And it's like people wouldn't really have to know that. I mean, you would be the only ones that knew that other than the fact that people knew that he had... I think it's unfortunate (laughs) that they got to this point. I understand why it upsets him. Yeah. I think it's a toxic idea. Mm-hmm. that, you know, he's not worthy as a man because his wife makes more money than him. Right, exactly. But I understand why he feels humiliated in but, this moment. Right, but this would also be, like, his foot into the in the door of, like, a real job. But they're also trying to trick him into it, which yeah, can't feel they, great. If they had come to him in a with honesty and told him about the idea, it would have been different than... I'm sure he still would have rejected the notion, but it might have gone a little bit better. Like, he was going to reject it either way. Right. It, it basically, they made a very bad attempt to make it, like, secretive. He might not And have. it was very obvious what was going on. And then that, I mean, that must feel so much worse. Right. To know that they were trying to trick you. Right. And it was and so probably, obvious. Yeah. Like, it wasn't. And he, he probably wouldn't have had the immediate reaction to go to this, to do this shady deal. You know, well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I don't want to blame them at all for what he does. But no, I mean, it's obviously his fault. But he's like he um, he's like, well, I guess I guess this is where we're at. And like uh, this is like it's really bad is basically like, you know what I mean? He's like, (laughs) it's really bad. It's really bad. I have to go make this right right away, Mm -hmm. you know? All right, so he calls up to Bookie uh, and says that he is, he's down. Yeah, he's going to do Down to thing. clown. He's yeah. going to be the front man. Yeah. So um, next thing we know, she's at opening night. She's waiting for Nikki to show up. He's not in his reserved seat. And, and Ziegfeld, it's because... Ziegfeld and Kevin are waiting. <laughs> are waiting for her Kevin Eddie Ryan yes yeah he's not there because he's been arrested yes not just arrested he's been indicted yes for embezzlement it's all moving very quickly yeah because it's like a suit like I feel like this is like the next day no it's like that night yeah so he's in jail but he says he doesn't want to see her I mean he winds up pleading guilty he was guilty Right. And she doesn't see him. It's not the plan for him to to uh, plead not guilty. Yeah. 
So she gets like five minutes with him before they take him to jail. Yeah. And then she doesn't see him for two years. In those five minutes, he says he wants to get a divorce. Yeah. Because well, they're just you, not right for each other. He says, other. you should divorce me. Yeah, but I mean, I think that was because he couldn't divorce her from jail. Right. Um, I think he would have done it himself if he weren't going to jail. Or I don't know. He may not have had that realization if he hadn't been going to jail. But point being. And I don't remember who it is that asks her. Someone says before before the jail, before the court scene, like, does she still love him? And she doesn't answer. It's a bunch of reporters. Oh, right, right, right. It's when she's leaving the theater to go see him. Yeah. And um, she has like a quippy line for every question. Yeah, she has. Except for this one. Yes, exactly. She's got a, a snarky little comeback. Yeah. yeah. He didn't come home nights anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, he, yeah, he says he wants her to her to divorce him and he he's taken says, away to jail he also says some like dickhead things which you know probably is like the pushing her away for her own good kind of a thing but um, i love it when men do that <laughs> he said <laughs> he says like well the publicity will be good for you it's like i don't know it's just low you know what i mean yeah i guess so I don't know. He's going to jail. And he says as he walks off to jail, so long, funny girl. So he leaves for two years. Mm-hmm. She no, sings funny me, girl. 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. She sings funny girl. Um, and then we cut back to the present. Right. We're back in the theater. Yeah. Back in the Zigfield Theater mm-hmm. and the head-to-toe cheetah print. Mm-hmm. Um, Florence. So this is when we find out that... Um, what they were talking about. Obviously, she's been on stage with Siegfried for a long time. What they're talking about at the beginning of the movie, like, it's today, isn't it? Is him getting out of jail. Yeah. So, uh, they're outside of her dressing room. Flo, Florence asks, any word? No word yet. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, Flo leaves, and then she's doing her makeup, and she looks up, and all of a sudden, Nick is standing there. She sees him in the reflection of her mm-hmm. vanity mirror. And she is kind of preparing for him to want to get be still be together. She tells Ziegfeld, like, if I have to leave show business I will do for that. him, I will. Yeah. Um, and she hugs him when he arrives, and he doesn't really hug her back. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's painful. Yeah. The whole exchange is very strained. I, I mean, I, I think that he does embrace her, but I agree that the affection she's displaying is not reciprocated. And he kind of pushes her away. Um, he says that he's had 18 months to think about it. And she says... And then he's thought about it every day. And she says, that's funny because I haven't thought about it a yeah. single time. She says, I've had the same 18 months, but I've never thought about it. Until today. Yeah. And then she says, when I realized you were right. Yeah. So she knows. I mean, do you think that she changed her mind in that moment? Not changed her mind, but do you think she's just putting up a front saying... Because she was literally just saying that she would leave show business for him. I know, I know. But I also, she I might don't know, I the, kind of believe her. She might have known in the back of her yeah, mind. Yeah, that's what I think. Because I, so. I believe her when she says, 
until today when I realized. Yeah. And I think she didn't want to believe she was right. She didn't want to believe he was right. Yeah. But this is where her story comes full circle. Um, and Because uh, he wonders what he ever gave her. And, he, and she says, well, you gave me the egg. <laughs> um, but she also says, but you gave me the gift of making me feel beautiful. Yeah. You know, which I think is her her arc. You know Absolutely. What I mean? And then, and I mean, it is true uh, when he says you are beautiful. I mean, yeah. it's very clear that he, he believes that when he yeah. says it. He really means it. Um, so then I think it's interesting the way the movie ends up. Because she goes out there. And she sings this song, My Man. And she, like a, a. That is about essentially like unrequited love. Yeah. And it's just kind of. I don't know. I mean, it's like, are we supposed to be happy for her in this moment? Because we keep. I don't know. It feels I mean, like we keep going back and forth between like, is hap- she okay was, or is she not okay? Is she still in love or is she not still? Like, what I was is happy happening? for her because. She shouldn't have. She shouldn't have stayed. I mean, I think. Yeah, I was happy for her just because sure. it was a good thing that they broke up. Right. Um, but she was heartbroken. But it's also a full circle moment because she's singing like an emotional like song without any like comedy to it, and she, you know what I mean. I just think it's an interesting choice that the ending song was about her being in love with a man that doesn't love her back versus her being happy with herself or right. something along or, those lines. Or not like, or like a doomed relationship or something, you know, rather I'm, than him not loving her. Right. Yeah. Just like something where there's more um yeah, fault on the Which other is person. funny because the the musical was originally called My Man. Yeah. It's interesting. Which I don't think I mean, that's what leads me to question, like, what is the point of this movie? But mm-hmm. then I, I just settle on, well, it's a true story, so there's not really a point. It's just um, a I mean, portrayal I the, of what I, happened. Yeah, but I think the point of the movie is sort of her character arc into, like, uh, you know, you know, realizing her self-worth. And I do think that it's important that the last song is, like, whether or not I really get why the material is what it is but that it's like a straightforward romantic you know song that takes itself seriously rather than like i said taking the piss out of it you know what i mean (laughs) sure it's not it's not like her usual comedy thing that you know okay so this so she sings my man um and then the show is over le fin Um, which which I write at the end of look at the end of every one of my recaps. I know, I know. You've corrected me like four times. It's Finn. Okay, um, so did you love the movie? I actually really did. Yeah, I um, really enjoyed it. Um, and it kind of it went by pretty quickly for a two and a half hour movie. It mostly did. I think there are some moments that drag a little bit. But they, I like that, you know, it moves along, you know, with the time I, jumps and yeah. stuff. Right? I think there was maybe, like, one too many scenes of her hesitating and, like, being too nervous. Yeah. But for the most part, I agree. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I wasn't crazy about Fanny at the get-go, but I wound up 
falling in love with her by the end of it. Yeah. I find her extremely relatable. Yeah. Um, Barbara Streisand is uh, I'm a star. Obviously, yeah. Her star quality is undeniable. It is. It's. There's a reason why she is regarded the way that she is. Yes. So I wind up giving this, I don't know, I can't really give it a letter grade because that feels cheap. But I can <laughs> give it, like, I want to say 4.5 out of 5. 4.5 fancy egg. Blue marble eggs. <laughs> out, of um, five, out of 5 blue marble eggs. I mean, I think I would probably do about the same, probably like an AA minus. I mean... Yeah. There wasn't a lot that I disliked about it. So that's know? probably like four blue marble eggs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, yeah. 4.4 4 roller skates. So fun uh, tidbits about casting for yeah. this movie. There's really only one interesting role when it comes to casting, which is obviously Nick. Yeah. I mean, Barbara Streisand's role was not up for debate right uh it was her role so for nick names that were considered basically include every handsome man from the 60s -hmm. marlon brando gregory peck sean connery ryan o'neill uh no actually i did not see his name on the list he was in another one of my favorite barbara streisand movies um called what's up doc okay very wow. good. But he's a he's a piece of shit. But oh, whatever. Cool. Okay. Well, <laughs> he wasn't involved in this. Yeah, go ahead. Um Frank Sinatra was considered and there's two stories about how he wound up not getting the role. One story is Barbara Streisand vetoed him because while she respected his acting, she did not like him as a person. Okay. The other story is he was only willing to take the role if they agreed to expand it and give him more. Like songs? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, choose your own adventure on that one. And he probably would have been a bigger star than her at the time, which she probably didn't like either. He definitely was. I could see both stories being true at the same time. Yeah. Also, though, Ray Stark, uh, the producer, he says that he thought Sinatra was too old. Uh, At the time, Sinatra was 50. Barbara Streisand, well, no, he would have been 50. um, I think he would have been like 53 by the time the movie came out. Uh But he was in his 50s. Um, Barbara Streisand was 26. Yeah. Thing is, Ray Stark said that he would prefer somebody with more class, perhaps like Cary Grant. But Cary Who Grant also was a, been old. He was yeah. eleven years older than Frank Sinatra, yeah. which kind of supports the theory that he was vetoed because people didn't like him. Yeah, which fine. <laughs> yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> um, so Omar Sharif, he was spotted by the director William Wyler in the studio commissary. Oh. And he said, that is Nick Arnstein. So he approached him, got him to be in the movie. Um, Shortly after that, I think it was before production began, um, something known as a conflict known as the Six-Day War broke out between Egypt and Israel. And the studio considered dropping... Omar from the movie because he is Egyptian. Oh. Right. So um, Barbara Streisand, 
um, who it should be noted, Jewish big supporter of Israel, mm-hmm. um, she threatened to quit. William Wyler, the director, also threatened to quit if they fired Omar. And so Just he was able, yeah. yeah, he was able to stay in the movie. Something interesting that happened with the Egyptian government is that uh, even though he is known as uh, basically Egypt's most famous actor, he lived in Cairo most of his life. Mm. Um, I think that Omar and Barbara were romantically involved during the filming of this movie. Which makes sense. They had a lot of chemistry. They did. So something interesting that that wound up happening after this six-day war is that a photo leaked of him and Barbara. It may have even been from set, but it was of the two of them, you know, embraced in a romantic, you know, way. Yeah. And um, essentially the Egyptian government, like, threatened to revoke his citizenship because Barbara Streisand was Jewish and very outspoken, outspokenly in favor of Israel. Yeah. Um, They did not wind up doing that, as far as I know. I mean, they didn't because he, unfortunately, he died in 2015 um, of, I think it was complications from Alzheimer's. Oh. But he um, had spent his later years in Cairo, and he was laid to rest in Cairo. Okay. Um, like in a Muslim cer- cemetery, I believe. So what I what else did, did he do in his career? Oh, he was very well known for a lot of things. He was Dr. Zhivago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, he won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for a role in Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a bunch of other other stuff, but I would say those are those two, and then Funny Girl, probably his most well-known performances. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, what else do we got here? Do you want to hear a little bit more about... Um... Fanny, the real Fanny Bryce's life? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so let's see. She actually ha- did have a first marriage before um, before Nikki, mm-hmm. the real Fanny Bryce. Um, but she it started in her teens, and it was the local barber named Frank White. Um, but their, their marriage only lasted three years, and they divorced in 1913. So he was her second husband. Her uh, so Nikki was her second husband, um, and like I said before, they got married. He served fourteen months in Sing Sing. Oh wow! For wiretapping, um, and Bryce visited him in prison every week. Um, and then in nineteen eighteen, they were married. After this was after they had been together for six years. Hmm. So the timeline is a little wiretapping, though. That's really yeah interesting. Yeah, that's I'm not... very different. Yeah, and you know, I don't ex- I don't know exactly what that means, what that translate to translates to for like what he actually did. I know? mean, that means like you're listening, you're like wiretapping a person, right? Like you're listening into their like phone or life conversations, right? But like to what end? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that, um, but. Doesn't matter. To so what him. they were married in 1918, and then in 1924, this is when he was charged in Wall Street bond theft. Um, 
he uh, so she insisted on his innocence and funded his entire legal defense at, wow. great, at great expense. But then he was convicted uh, and sentenced to federal to the federal penitentiary at Leavenworth. So he wasn't even really that sympathetic of a character in real life. No, and he also wasn't as handsome. Did you look up a picture of him? No, not even close. Um. So he he actually served three years, not eighteen months. Oh. Um, yeah, he, I guess he went to all those old prisons everyone knows about. Sing Sing. Rikers. Leavenworth. <laughs> I, I've never heard of Leavenworth. Oh, okay. Um, so basically when he got out of uh, jail in 1927, he just basically disappeared from her life and her, and their children's lives. They had two kids. Um, What's that one in California? What, what one? You know, the island. Oh, um, Alcatraz. Yeah. San Francisco. Anyways. Um, so he basically disappeared from her life and their kids' lives. Um, and so she reluctantly divorced him in 1927. Yikes. Nikki Arnstein. Mm-hmm. Not a charmer IRL. No. Bummer. Nope. <laughs> um, what else do we got here? Such a disappointment. And it's funny that... Um, Ray Stark, who was her, let's see. Son-in-law. Oh, yeah. He was her son-in-law. Right. Um, but not, okay. I thought that the, that it was like her, not her stepson, her son-in-law. I think I misspoke earlier. It was, Fran- so they had a daughter, Frances. Right. And that Frances was- married Ray Stark. Right. Okay. Yes. She also had a, a like, a, aside from her career with Ziegfeld, Follies. She also had a career in radio and then eventually in TV. She had a very famous character called Snooks, who was like a bratty, bratty little girl. Okay. <laughs> Snooks. Um, and so she had. There, it was her and another. It was her and another actor who had a character named Daddy. So it was Snooks and Daddy was like her big radio show. <laughs> Gross. Um, um, and then she was eventually on TV um, uh, in a big budget, large scale radio variety show called The Big Show. Um, and sh- that premiered in November of 1950. But six months after that was when she died of a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 59. Mm. Um, that sucks. Yeah. That's young. I know. And basically just from, I don't know, is a cerebral hemorrhage, is that kind of like a, like a aneurysm or something? I don't know. I think, um, let's, let's try and guess what a cerebral hemorrhage is. I want to say internal brain bleeding. That's what I want to say That you don't know about. Kind of like how, um, that's what happened to Natasha Richardson. Oh, so sad. I know. She had a skiing accident. And, like, didn't go to the doctor or something and didn't know she was, like, bleeding from her brain, like you said. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I'm cutting all of this. You are? I don't want to end the podcast talking about cerebral hemorrhages. (laughs) Or baby Dorothy. (laughs) Sorry. Um, So, basically, she... um, So, then the the last episode of the Baby Snooks show (laughs) was broadcast as a memorial to her. 
Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. What I'm sure that Baby Snooks made a touching <laughs> tribute. <laughs> that was like what she was most known for as far as people knew back then. All right, um, look, I have... Some recast? No, I have so... I was going to say I have so many... Like, fun facts about Barbara Streisand, one being she did, for real, clone her dog. Oh, so she, <laughs> so she did clone her dog. Barbara Streisand, for real, cloned her dog. Which uh, speaks to her wealth. I mean, she's probably was, you know, to a certain point known as, like, you know, one of the most successful women um, in the entertainment industry. Sure. But, you know, most people still don't clone their dogs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I wonder how much it cost. Oh, God. I'm, I bet <laughs> she doesn't even know. Right. Um, uh, I, I did read, I couldn't confirm this, but I read that Barbara Streisand's biographer, Anne Edwards, actually wrote the first half of the screenplay, but is uncredited. Oh. Yeah. So I want I mean I I just wonder is that how they got connected? Is that how she wound up getting the biography? Yeah. I don't know. Um Omar Sharif, he is of Lebanese and Syrian descent. Like I said he lived in Cairo most of his life. Mm-hmm. Spent his later years there, is buried there. He speaks five languages. Oh. And he graduated from Cairo University in 1963 with a joint degree in mathematics and physics. Wow. So he is not just a pretty face. Was that his bachelor's? I, yes, it was. So he was young. Uh, he I mean, depending was on how 36 long. when oh, okay. the movie came out. She was 26. Yeah. Okay. So he took his time getting his degrees. Um, I this suppose was five so. Years if this was that was five years prior to the movie, then he would have been thirty-one when he finished. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Take your time. Yeah. Whatever. Um. He was probably modeling. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Um. Barbara is an EGOT winner, although only technically. Why? Because her Tony Award was non-competitive. Oh, it was like a um, the lifetime achievement award. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she didn't are... wind up winning for um, Funny Girl at the Tonys. Who who are the all the egots? Whoopi, right? Also, I think hers is a technicality, or no, it's not a technicality. It's that uh, she, she has a daytime. A it's a daytime Emmy. A daytime Emmy and a comedy album. Well, that doesn't no day, comedy album counts. Yeah. But daytime Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, but another interesting uh, fact about awards. Um, so with the Academy Awards, Barbara did win for um, Best Actress. Yeah. Um, but she tied with Catherine Hepburn. So this was Cap- Catherine Hepburn's. Second win in a row. People did not expect that to happen. Um, she didn't attend the ceremony. She never attended the ceremony. Oh. That was like a thing. She always said, like, my prize is my work. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> so, uh, but she still winds up co-winning. Uh, Has that the... ever happened before? Yeah. 
But it had been a long time. Like, it was a big surprise when this happened. And I will say, I watched the award, uh, like, a clip on YouTube, and the audience erupted when they announced Barbara Streisand's name second. Wow. yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's that people were, like, not excited for Katherine Hepburn, but Ingrid Bergman was... Um, Ingrid Ber- Berg- Bergman? Bergman, yeah. Bergman, yeah. She was presenting, and she you know, was caught off guard. Yeah. It was like, it was like a La La Land moment. <laughs> <laughs> holding up, holding up the card. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad because I mean, she, she at least announced old. the right yeah. winners. Right. Um, so, yeah, they won together. Uh, Catherine Hepburn had the movie director accept on her behalf so Barbara wound up sort of getting the whole spotlight. He didn't say much. He just said thank you yeah. and then backed off. And then she began her acceptance speech with, hello, gorgeous. Oh. Yeah, which is cute. Also, she was wearing um, an outfit that's pretty reminiscent of the outfits she wore in the movie. It was a sheer, loose, flowy pantsuit type oh, of okay. thing. Yeah, She had like a sailor collar or a peter pan not peter pan but it was like a a big boat collar you know what i mean yeah um but it was a sheer top it was oh i remember this yes i think i remember this black sheer it was was pants yeah yeah and i i still think fairly modern looking for the time yeah for 1969 essentially um has there been a tie since then uh, not that I can think of, I can't but even, maybe. Yeah, I don't even. I mean, I didn't even know that that was a a possibility. So also that year, not only was it just a tie, but Catherine Hepburn wound up that year breaking the record for most nominations. Oh. Uh, for best actress, uh-huh. Meryl Streep has since broken that record. So Doesn't Catherine she have like Hepburn, or something? Meryl Streep has seventeen best actress and four. Best supporting. I was right. 21. Yes. <laughs> Catherine Hepburn has 12 best actress. I think zero best supporting. They're all best actress. Yeah. Um, but Catherine Hepburn has the most wins. And she still has the most wins of any actor. Really? At four. Yeah. Oh, four is the most anyone's That's ever won? the most. Wow. Yeah. For acting. Yeah. Now, there's other... People who have maybe won for acting and directing and probably and beat stu- out one of them is stupid Ben Affleck. Probably. Actually, I think he's only got two only got... for Argo and Goodwill Hunting. Didn't he do The Town? I no. don't think that won. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it did. I doubt it. But um, no. It's uh... stupid how many Oscar nominations he's had. Anyway, go on. I mean, like. Argo was a good movie. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I never saw it. Okay. Well, it was good. He's Maybe. not that bad. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, he's he was just I'll really also, sad for a while. You know, my favorite part of lockdown and the pandemic was all the paparazzi shots of, like, every day there was a paparazzi shot like, of him picking sad up. sad Ben Affleck? No, but, but of him specifically. Getting Duncan. Getting the Duncan. Because he's a real Bostonian. <laughs> picking up his Duncan Postmates delivery. Listen, I feel like Ben and, Affleck like, is the new it. Matt Damon, and then he's, like, the new relatable, likable guy, and Matt Damon kind of sucks now. I mean, he's back with uh, J Lo. I know. Full circle. Full circle. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm into the new, like the new Benefer. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm into it. Benefer I really 2.0. am. Benefer two Yep. 
Anyways. I only have a couple of suggestions for recast. I know they're 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 doing a Broadway revival, right? It's not <gasps> it's not the movie. Yeah, so it's very dramatic, but Leah Michelle will never be <laughs> Fanny Bryce. <laughs> If my life depends on it, Leah Michelle will never play Fanny Bryce. Listen, it's it's. I feel I feel for her. I do. I, don't, I feel. For I her. don't really because there's so many horrible stories about how awful she is. I assume they're all true, but I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know. I know that she's Jonathan Groff's BFF, and I love Jonathan. Groff. I do love Jonathan Groff. Right. Yeah. So basically, they're. I do- trust his judgment. There is a. Um, Broadway revival coming out that uh, Beanie uh, Feldstein, Feldstein, who is Jonah Hill's sister. Oh, yeah, I don't think I knew that. It's true. Um, and you know she's had a lot of you know. She was in Hello Dolly. She was in Hello Dolly. I mean, which recently she also was in... starred Barbara Streisand. So as far as a movie, I mean, she could do it. But I had an idea because I know she can kind of sing, and she has a band. But I don't know if she has a good enough voice. This oh, is... I don't think she can just kind no, of. No, no, sing. no, no. I'm talking about my idea for the movie. Oh, okay. Um, I was like, "Whoa, dude!" <laughs> like, um, she... I don't know if she can do it. I don't know if she can do it vocally, but I love Allison Brie, and she's Jewish. Oh, I love Allison Brie, but she's super pretty, and no one would ever believe her as like quote unquote funny girl. But that's kind of her she role. She was in, horse that's kind girl. Of, that's kind of her role in Glow is to be like the, the funny, not sexy one. She's. I mean, I. They really go to extremes to make her look quote unquote not pretty, and all they do is like not put any makeup, makeup on yeah. her. It's obvious that she's very, very beautiful. She's very pretty. But my my idea for Nikki was just based on was Oscar Isaac. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, he does slightly resemble Oscar Isaac, yeah. for sure. Oscar Isaac is definitely in his late 40s, early 50s, yeah. I want to say. Yeah. So I think maybe in in my in my book, I would say he's aged out. Yeah. But... I mean, it depends on who... I see it. It depends on who plays Fanny, Fanny. but yeah. no matter what, she's supposed to kind of start out as a teen. I think if we're going to have her start off, at least with the level of an experience that yeah. she needs to be believable as a 20-something, yeah. I think 30s is pushing it. And then if it's a 50-something with a 30 or 20-something, I'm sort of like, ew. Yeah. Did you, you have know? any ideas? Oh, no. I mean, I think literally any handsome man yeah. <laughs> could be Nick. I mean, that's you're right. That's true. I, and, like, that was really my only idea just because they resemble each other. Yeah. And then I really struggled to, like, think of a girl in, you know, uh, popular culture today that I think has, like, a unique enough look to be... Both Fanny Bryce. Both beautiful and unusual. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. There aren't any that I, I don't know. There's none that come to mind for me. Yeah. I mean, I Googled Jewish actresses and Alison Brie was my choice. Oh. Uh. Anyway, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Our Instagram, <laughs> where you can find more fun facts about Fanny Bryce and uh, Omar Sharif and Barbara Streisand mm-hmm. and Nikki Arnstein, et cetera, et cetera. We'll post some stuff. At The Hills Are Alive Pod. Mm-hmm. Once again, I am Kelsey. I'm Alex. Thanks as always. And as always to We Own This Town. We'll be back next month with the 1970s edition, which is The Wiz. The Wiz. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. I am too. So we'll see you next time, you guys. Bye, guys. (laughs) Welcome to my channel. This is my new lip kit. (laughs) I think you're really going to love it. (laughs) Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) What was that about your lip kit? Thank you for visiting my channel. (laughs) Oh, Alex, you gotta get off TikTok. (laughs) That's a YouTube thing.